God, we are grateful for the ancient words that still guide us today. Would you come and speak to us through these words, through your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Many centuries ago, God delivered, rescued, redeemed his people from Egypt, uh, took them through the Red Sea and brought them to Mount Sinai where they settled for about a year to receive the law and instructions about the tabernacle and their worship together so that they could travel with God's presence right in the midst. With all that giftedness, you would think we would read about them being grateful and full of faith and obedience, and yet much like us, we, we find them to be rebellious, ungrateful, disobedient, grumbling again and again. They come to the very edge of the promised land. They send 12 spies in to see what they're getting into. After 40 days, those spies come back with, with a report that the land indeed is fruitful, a land of milk and honey. But the people, they're strong. The cities, fortified. Caleb said, let's take it. The majority of the spies said, mm, let's not. The people cried out to God and said, let's go back to Egypt. They had forgotten what Egypt was like. Let's go back. Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua all said, no, don't, don't rebel against God. He's led us here. He's with us. He'll help us. But the people didn't buy it. God had had enough. He was ready to, to disown this nation he had established. But Moses pleaded with God, God, be patient with them. They're your people. What will all the other nations say? So God forgave them. And God said, this generation, this older generation, this disobedient, unbelieving, complaining generation, they're going to spend the next 40 years in the wilderness dying off so that the younger generation will be able then to take this land as promised. Only Joshua and Caleb of that older generation actually enter the promised land. The rest died in the wilderness. The author of Hebrews is using that historical backdrop to challenge his first century congregation to don't, don't get right to the edge of everything God's doing and then forget his word and walk away in disobedience. We too have become his people. We've got his word. Don't, don't stop right when you're on the edge of, of the rest, the full victory that God has for you. As your pastor this morning, many centuries later, I want to say the same thing. Let's, let's pay attention to God's word. Let's trust him. Let's move out in that trust. Let's, as the words of the text say, today if, if we hear his voice, let's not harden our hearts, but rather let's make every effort 
to enter into all that God's calling us to be. Why? Because the word of God is alive. It's living and active. Have you noticed that about God's word? It's alive. It's life-giving. It's life-changing. Even though it's these ancient words, it's right up to date, um, bringing real power and change into our lives. When I think of the Middle Ages, I realize the Bible was, was protected and copied by monks in monasteries, much like Iona, where our group of pilgrims are today. It, and that was a good thing. The scriptures were protected and kept and copied painstakingly. And yet the scriptures were also kept from you and me, the people of God. It's kind of like a museum piece tucked away in a glass box. The Reformation came along and let the Bible out, put it in the common language of the people, which was a radical idea. We read this in English, not in Latin today, because of the Reformation spirit that translated the scriptures into the common tongues of the people. And then, fortunately, was it God's hand? Gutenberg had a new invention that allowed those scriptures to be not painstakingly by hand copied, but now printed hundreds of copies at a time and spread around the world so that more and more people would hear this word and believe this word. That's the Reformation we've been looking at this fall. We're going to shift gears right now into talking a little bit about a next renewal movement of the church called pietism. The pietists went a step further. They said, it's great to believe and be able to read that this is God's word and bank, bank on it as truthful, trustworthy, the only authority. But the pietists came along and said, it's just as important that we live it, that we enter into it, that we let it shape our lives and reflect its truth in, in the world around us. The pietists didn't want to just settle for a doctrine about the scriptures. They wanted a life that looked like the life it was leading us to. And so we, we come to the scriptures this morning as alive. It's living. It's life-giving. It's life-changing. What's the most important thing we can do with this book? I've often recommended that people read it personally, that they listen to gifted Bible teaching, wherever that might be, and that they discuss it with one another. Those are great things we could add, the disciplines of memorizing, meditating. Maybe you like to sing scripture or draw or doodle scripture. All these are really good in and of themselves, but they're not the most important thing. All of these lead to one most important goal, and that is that we live it, that we actually live this book. It's not intended to be kept in a monastery or in a museum case. It's meant to be reflected in our lives. That's what this text is calling us to. That's why we want to let it loose, not just to be heard and believed, but to be lived. That's what God calls us to. 
And so my desire is that we don't stop just with the right doctrine of Scripture, but that we go on to become people who live according to it and reflect it. I think our world is crying out for the church to, to look something like the book we, we hold dear. They're looking for us to, to reflect this life in our own lives. It is living and active. It's also sharper than any two-edged sword. Now it's getting a little uncomfortable because we're talking about a, a weapon, a dangerous tool. I'm not real good with dangerous weapons. Some of you know, although I stood with the other veterans here, some of you are probably thinking he wasn't much of a soldier, and you're right. I had never held a weapon before basic training. It was all new to me, and it really showed. When I was on the uh, practice range, 25-meter practice range, first time with live ammunition, I'm looking down the sights while a drill sergeant is trying to show us how to use these paper, paper targets, how to line up the sights on this rifle I'd never seen before. And um, I don't know quite how it happened, but my rifle got off the safety setting, and I was a little bit tense, and I pulled the trigger a little too hard, and a bullet went down range awfully fast from my weapon. The drill sergeant hit the Louisiana dirt quickly. I got wrapped on my steel helmet like a bell was rung. I got pulled off the range and gently told that I really should try to do better next time. <laughs> Actually, you know how that might have looked and sounded. It wasn't very pleasant. I did get back down in my position the drill sergeant was not hit. Uh, not only did I miss him, but I missed many other targets through my training. Just got through by the skin of my teeth uh, to graduate as a very poor marksman. And the Army kept me as far away from dangerous weapons as possible from that day on. That's why I became, as many of you know, an entertainment specialist. Um, but I, I gave up that one dangerous weapon but I gradually, within months, was becoming very committed to picking up this dangerous weapon, letting it uh, shape me, and maybe through my study and practice and teaching, shape, shape other people. This, this book, if you haven't discovered, is more than just pleasant, beautiful, devotional, heartwarming, lovely, stories and talks and quotes that you can put on flowery artwork in your home. If you haven't noticed, this book sometimes gets right in your face. If not a swift kick in the pants, it makes me uncomfortable at times. Not just because I don't quite understand it, because I do understand it. And it's getting right in my face. If you've discovered the scriptures like that, you know that it has that double edge. However you look at it, I see it as having that, that edge of having a lot of good stuff in it, but also having some stuff that goes right to the heart of who I am and starts to do surgery. In fact, more than just a dangerous effort, weapon, I see this two-edged sword more like a, a surgeon's scalpel 
My son-in-law, Ben, back six years ago now, went through brain surgery uh, to remove a non-cancerous but very invasive tumor that was growing in his brain. And I'll never forget the, uh, the surgeon coming after a long day of surgery and giving us a little debrief on how things went. And as he described it, um, he was using his hands, and he said, I, you know, I kind of took this part of the brain, and I, and I was able to kind of pull this back, and I, I saw these very fragile optic nerves, and I had to kind of work around them, but I, but I got in there where I was able to, you know, just hour after hour, just gradually slice that tumor away from the brain without damaging it. And I'm, I'm really getting close to being both nauseous and overwhelmed with the awe of what this guy was doing. And I was so grateful for the skill, but also for trying to imagine how sharp that knife had to be to get as much as possible without causing damage. And then I look at this text and think, that's, that's what God's word does with me. It's not fun all the time. It's not pleasant. Sometimes it really hurts, but it, it gets in and it starts to cut away what needs to come out. If it doesn't come out, I'm going to be a sick, if not dying, person. But if we can get that out, even though I'm going to be hurting for a while and I don't like it, I have a healthier, better future ahead. That's the way God's word works, piercing, dividing, judging, doing its difficult scaffolding work in my life. And I, I want that, and I want it for you. Don't run from it. It's not all pleasant, but don't go back to Egypt. Hang in there and let God's word do its work. And then in verse 13, it almost seems like things shift because we're not talking about the word of God. We're talking about God himself in the eyes, the sight of God. Before him, no creature is hidden. And we start to realize how exposing God's word can be. All are naked and laid bare. I remembered a mistake I made in junior high in sending um, a girlfriend of mine a birthday card I thought was pretty hilarious. I told my mom and dad about it. It had, had this, these words on the front. You know, I was, I was in the bathtub last night when I realized it's your birthday today. So I ran to the drugstore, and you know what I got? And you open the card and it says, jail time for indecent exposure. <laughs> well, she laughed. Her parents laughed. My mom and dad were appalled. <laughs> they, they were flabbergasted that I would even, it was out, it was gone, it had happened. I was embarrassed, but we moved on. I don't know if you've experienced that kind of exposure. It might not be indecent, but maybe you don't even like the word naked in Scripture, but Scripture does that at times. It just, fortunately, it's before the one who loves us. It's before God and nobody else, but it, you just feel like, wow, that just took everything, all my pretensions away. I can fool other people. Sometimes I can even fool myself. But I can't fool God when he's got this kind of scalpel and eyesight just laying me bare and I need to come clean with him. That's, 
that's what God's word does. It's that sharp. It's that exposing. And I just encourage you this morning to, to not run away from the hard parts. To not think that that hurt that you're feeling, that embarrassment that I feel, is, is something that God's doing just to hurt us alone. No, that, that hurt and discomfort is there to move us like surgery into better days ahead. We've got to let him do that. To run away is to commit ourselves to 40 years of wilderness wanderings rather than entering in and taking all that God promises for us. So I appeal to you, let God's word have its living and cutting and exposing work in your life. I want to do that too and join you and say, let's, let's let these ancient words have a very up-to-date, living work, active in your life and in my life, in our church, in our world and community. Let's let God's word do its work. It's not always pleasant, but it's always good. And as we close today, I want to read to you a prayer from Psalm 139 and just have you quietly reflect before God. It's a prayer of uh, God searching us out. Maybe you like this imagery a little bit better than the cutting. But the Psalmist 139 says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You might want to turn to that or just think on that. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I invite you to just quiet reflect and let, let God's word through his spirit work in your mind for just a quiet minute.